in favor? <laughs> right. We're not finished yet for today. There's more to come. So, um, When we come to, uh, to speak about the Christian faith, there is one important issue on the heart of God, and it's the words, how to. Jesus is more interested in us doing what he said than just knowing what he said. In other words, how to live by faith, how to hear from God, how to live by the Spirit, how to make disciples. And isn't it interesting, if that was so obvious, then Jesus wouldn't have bothered to give us any instruction on these things. And what's abundantly obvious to me is that Jesus does give us instructions. Jesus does speak about the different aspects of the Christian life from a how-to perspective. When you go to John chapter 15, Jesus describes the Christian life in a very interesting way. He uses a very interesting analogy. He speaks about the Christian as being somebody who's like a branch on a tree that bears fruit or a vine. He speaks about the branch of a vine, and the vine is Jesus himself. And he says, when somebody is a true believer, when somebody is a disciple of Jesus, there's always evidence of that in their lives. Always. So let's read what he says, because uh, in John 15, Jesus makes some very interesting statements that I want us to look at this morning. So he says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch, talking about us, can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And then he explains what this vine, he says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. And such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and they're burnt. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, when we come to what we've been reading over here, I don't know if you've noticed that Jesus makes a statement that is quite challenging for us as a generation of believers. It's in verse 7, if we can go to that. He said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. And when I read that, the immediate thing that comes to me, that's not the experience of most believers. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. Has anybody had that happen to them? Anything you wish, and it will be given to you. I think that's quite a thought-provoking statement, because if that's not happening... And if we believe that the words of Jesus are true and trustworthy, in other words, he's not exaggerating in what he's saying over here, 
then the only thing that you and I can do is go back to what he has said because he said, if my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. So in other words, the only thing that we can do is go back to what he said so that we can discover why we are not seeing these answers to prayer. And you know, there's only one prayer Jesus ever taught his disciples to pray. We call it the Lord's Prayer, which is really not quite right because Jesus never needed to pray for forgiveness. It's more like the disciples' prayer. It's probably a better thing to call it. It's the disciples' prayer, and it's the one prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, which works every time. Here's a beautiful thing. So let's read about it. And we're going to read Luke's account. And Luke's account is probably the shortest account of the Lord's Prayer. You'll, you'll, as you read it, you're going to see, well, there's a lot of things left out compared to what I learned at school when I learned the Lord's Prayer, or wherever you did learn it. One day when Jesus was praying in a certain place, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, here's Jesus' response to the request, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for, interestingly, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not to temptation. That part is the part we all know well is called the Lord's Prayer. But then he goes on and he uses two other analogies. The one is about a rather weird analogy. It's about a guy that goes to his friend's house in the middle of the night. Now, I don't know if that's a good friend who comes to you at the middle of the night and wakes you up. But, but that's what he says. So he says, then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine is on a journey and he's come to me and I've got nothing to set before him. Now, we need to understand in the Middle East when you made bread, you ate it all on the same day because it would have been off by the next day. It would have been stale. And so here's a man, he's got a, a, a guest that has arrived, he's run out of bread, so he goes to the guy next door and he says, well, you know, can you give me something? Then the one inside answers like most of us would have, don't bother me, the door is already locked. And my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Jesus said, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he's a friend, <laughs> yet because of this man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, if your son, here's the next picture, which of your fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, now to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so as we come to this section of Luke, we discover Jesus' disciples doing a very interesting thing. Lord, teach us how to pray. 
I want to ask you all a question here this morning. How many of you have ever been properly taught how to pray? Put your hands up. One, two, three, four. Where did you learn to pray? By listening to other people, huh? I remember coming to, to Connect Church here for the very first time, and I, I, uh, there's a phrase, a cliche that I picked up that, all the pastors used to pray, and it like, took me quite a bit because I wasn't used to it. And they said, thank you, Lord. That's how they would start praying. Always like that. And I realized here was a kind of culture of prayer that people had kind of picked up that phrase. And so whenever they started praying, you could be sure they were going to start off by saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Because that's how people were learning from one another how to pray. It's just a phrase that they learned. And mean, it was, was bad or good. It's just a phrase that people learned. And many of us have actually learned to pray by listening to other people. But when Jesus teaches, and I, for want of the word, I'll use the word the Lord's Prayer because we're all familiar with that terminology. But when Jesus begins to teach on the Lord's Prayer, he's not just wanting us to know it off by heart. By the way, how many of you know that off by heart? Things are looking up. He's wanting you to know this is the prayer that he gave to his disciples so that they could learn to pray. It's a teaching tool. And it's good to know it off by heart, but it's more than that. It's a tool that he uses to teach people. And the first thing that he begins to teach them when he teaches this Lord's Prayer, he says, you need to begin with God. Always. You need to begin with God. So the disciples, they come to Jesus and, and they, they hear, overhear Jesus praying. And as they overhear Jesus praying, they, they say, won't you teach us to pray? Because they wanted to learn to pray like he could pray. Now, you, what you need to remember about these Jewish men is they all knew how to pray. There wasn't one of them that hadn't learned how to pray. That's because that's what you were taught. If you're part of a Jewish family, you were taught how to pray. So it wasn't that they were coming to Jesus and saying, we don't know how to pray. They said, when we listen to you praying, we realize we've got a lot to learn about prayer. And so they come to Jesus and they, they say, won't you, you teach us how to pray? And he teaches them to pray by saying, okay, let's start with God first. Now I want to share something with you. One of the most valuable things that you can do when it comes to praying is start with God. Because something happens to you when you start with God. Something happens in my heart when I start with God. When we go to God as Father and we go to God as the creator of the heavens and the earth, doesn't it put everything else you're about to ask Him into perspective? You notice in Acts chapter 4 when, when the disciples of had some pushback. They, they're doing this ministry. They've just healed a man outside the temple. Awesome miracle. They're now preaching about Jesus. And then the religious authorities meet up with them and they say, stop it right now or else. Same guys that did that. That's what lies ahead of you. Stop. And look what they pray as they go back. They begin with these words, sovereign Lord. They say, God, we want to focus on you. I, if it was me, I would have said, God, help. I would have gone there, Lord, you know what they're saying about me? You know that I could be in trouble, Lord, please. And, and Jesus says, start with God. 
Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and his anointed one. And he's saying, what chance have they got? Because I am God. And then Jesus said, and when you pray... I want you to remember that you speak to me as a father. You know the word that's used is the word Abba? It's our word for daddy. It's that intimate word that we use when we come and pray it. We're saying, dad, I'm coming to you as dad. Do you know why Jesus said that? Because the people in his day had this view of God. He's distant. He's far. He he's, has authority. He sometimes gets angry. They had such a picture of God, and he's trying to break that. And he's saying, come to me as Father. This is how you should pray. Father in heaven. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but many people say, well, you know, it's difficult to come to God and picture Him as a father because of the kind of father that I've had. I'm sure you've heard people saying that. Jesus is not asking them to come to people as they relate to their earthly father. Because later on, He goes on to say, if you who are fathers who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. What He's saying, when you come to me, come to me as a different kind of a father. Embrace me as a different kind of a father. A father who will never let you down. A father who knows your requests and understands your needs. And he's not your buddy. And he's not the man upstairs. He is God Almighty. Our Father in heaven, may your name be holy. Hallowed. Again, we lose the sense of what is being said over here because we don't come from a Jewish background. But those, those disciples of Jesus would have understand this. If any scribe would take the name of the Lord and write it down, they would first go and cleanse themselves ceremonially. They would change the clothes that they are wearing and put new fresh clothes on. They would come and write the name of the Lord without using the vowels. Then they would, after they'd done that, they would change back again and continue their writing until they wrote his name again. And for them, there was a sense of the holiness and awesomeness of God. And I want to say that's the one thing we've lost completely. And then he said, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? Here on this earth right now, a lot of people when they hear this, these words, your kingdom come and your will be done, they're thinking of one day when Jesus comes. And I do think it has, it, it, it relates to that. But I also think what they are praying, let your kingdom come now. Let your will be done now. And we've got a beautiful example of this in, in Jesus' life when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Listen to, to, to how Luke spells it out. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. And on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them and he knelt down and prayed. And he said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Here it is. Yet not my will, but your will be done. I want you to have this picture this morning. Jesus says, start with God. 
acknowledge the greatness of God, the creator, the sovereign God over all the universe. If he stopped willing it for a second, this whole universe would implode. And then he says, and when you pray, pray your kingdom come and your will be done. And this is what he's saying to the the disciples. When you pray, pray like this. You submit your will to him. You humble yourself before him. You say, God, what you know is best for me. I submit myself to that. You see, our problem when we pray is we want to invite, help God. We want to give him some suggestions. We want to tell him how we want him to do things. And friends, I think the key thing with God, he's a good father and he knows what's best. Therefore, we submit ourselves to him. Once we've focused on God, once we've got Him into perspective, we can now bring our requests. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but what struck me about what Jesus taught His disciples to pray for is they're the things that I seldom pray for. How many many prayed for the food that God would supply your food on the table in the last week? Some of you did. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. How many of you prayed for your sins to be forgiven this week? How many of you prayed your sins to be forgiven because you've forgiven other people their sins? Lead us not into temptation. And that doesn't mean our other prayers don't count. It just means that these are the things that we should be praying for. And Jesus is teaching his disciples that prayer means asking. Prayer means trusting God. Prayer means depending on God even for our daily bread. Look at Matthew 6 here. Do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will will wear. Is life not more important than food? The body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in bonds, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? And he's preaching what he's saying, sorry, over here can be understood in two ways. Number one, that we should put our trust in God even for the food we eat. And I want to say that's quite difficult when your fridge is full and so is your pantry. Some of you will remember a guy by the name of George Mueller who opened many orphanages all over England. And the story's told, and some of you have heard the story of where one day the, the orphans and, uh, and George were, were about to have their breakfast, and there was no food whatsoever in the house. And they said, he said, now we're going to say grace. And they said, sir, but we've got no food. What are we going to thank God for? He said, God will provide And guess what happened? As they were saying grace, the bakery trucks breaks down sort of right outside their home. And they have a quick meeting together and they decide, well, this bread is going to get spoiled if we just leave it standing. Let's rather give it to the kids in the orphanage and they give it and God supplies. Amazing. And friends, I never want us to lose 
how special it is to say God provide for our needs, even in an affluent community. That's the one thing I think that Jesus is alluding to. But the other thing is this. Our abundance must not lead to us neglecting our faith and trusting God. And, th and that can so easily happen. I mean, this message, when I was preparing this, the one thing I've learned when I say grace the next time, I need to be aware that every time I say grace, because I've got plenty of food in the fridge, that I mustn't forget that the blessing that I've got causes me to neglect my faith and trust in God. But then Jesus goes on. And he says to his disciples, you've got an ongoing need for forgiveness because there's ongoing sin. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And I don't know if you've noticed here, but this prayer has a condition. It's a for we forgive. And we cannot have God's forgiveness when we hold grudges, when there's unforgiveness and resentment, even when we believe it's the right thing to do. Sometimes we justify our feelings. We say, well, I have the right to feel that way. That's why Jesus told the parable of the unmerciful servant. You all remember that parable, the guy that was forgiven so much and then he went to one of his colleagues and said, well, you owe me a pittance. But, and the guy said, I can't pay, have mercy on me. And he threw him into prison until the master got to hear about it. And he said, like, what's going on over here? You wouldn't, you're not prepared to forgive that guy and write off his stuff. I forgave you so much. Into prison. And the point that he's making is in the kingdom, forgiven people forgive. I don't believe forgiving people means we condone people's behavior. I think what it means is that we will not allow what they have done to bring us into bondage because of unforgiveness. And you know what it does? In our ministry, our living free ministry that we do and deliverance ministry you do, do you know one of the single biggest obstacles in people's hearts is unforgiveness to the work of the Spirit? And then another issue Jesus includes in his the teaching over here is that we're meant to live a life of freedom. Lead us not into temptation. I wonder why he said that. Could it possibly be that every single one of us here this morning struggles with temptation? Anybody that doesn't, please come and give me your secret afterwards. But we all struggle with temptation. I want to point out some of the bigger ones. It's the temptation to prove that we, will, we are worthy of God's love. People feel, Christians are always feeling unworthy. It's, it's sometimes the, the temptation to prove that God will be faithful to what He's written in His Word. That song that we sung earlier on. It's the temptation to believe that what the world has to offer is better than what God has done for us. 
And we need to pray these words. Matthew 26 says it. Watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the, the body is weak. Do you remember what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? They were believers. They ended up lying about their giving because they fell into a trap. You know what? The end result wasn't pretty at all. I want to ask you this morning, and it was just a sense that I had after I'd preached at the 8 o'clock service. The sense that I have is what's holding you back this morning? What temptation are you facing today that's actually holding you back? Because Jesus said, pray this morning that you will not fall into that temptation. And the idea of praying that is God will deliver you from that. This teaching that Jesus gives reminds us who we're praying to and what we should be praying for. But the trouble is very often when we talk about the Lord's Prayer, and some, I'm sure some of you have heard sermons on the Lord's Prayer before, we often separate us from the words that follow, from the teaching that follows, and we lose the full impact of what Jesus is teaching over here. And I think there's three things that we can learn from this. Number one, we should expect God to answer our prayers. Well, especially this prayer. You see, believers pray because they refuse to accept the status quo. They refuse to accept the things the way they are when they have access to God Himself. You know what? I would have loved to. One prayer meeting I wish I'd been at is the prayer meeting in Acts chapter 12 when it says Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for him. Can you imagine? Middle of the night. Hello, who's there? It's me, Peter. What? Peter's in prison. Stop talking rubbish. Can you open the door? Who's there? It's Peter. Ah, oh, come on, man. You expect me to believe that he's in prison? Please open the door. This is Peter. And they open the door and imagine. They get him inside and they say, how in the world did you get out of prison? And said, you won't believe this one. He said, you know, I was sitting there in the middle of the night and an angel appeared to me. Wow. And then? And he said, you know what? Miraculously, my chains fell off. Wow. And then you won't believe it. The door opened while the gods were standing there and I walked out and nobody touched me. Wow. You see, that's what happens when people believe when they pray that God's going to answer. There's going to be a shift that begins to take place. The second thing we discover is that we need to keep praying to get an answer. <laughs> I thought about that quite a lot because Jesus tells the story of a friend in need at an unearthly hour of the night. And the whole point of the whole story is here's a guy that refused to give up. And I thought to myself, I wonder if that is true about me, if it's true of me. And I thought about this. When we really mean business with God, we will not give up. 
And the point Jesus is making, we actually often do. You know why? Because we live in an instant society. You know why? Because we sometimes don't have the, the spiritual stamina to push through. And he's not talking about long prayer meetings. What he's talking about is, I won't stop asking God what I know is according to his will. I remember, and I think I showed you some, maybe some months ago, just a video clip of, of Francis Chan. And for the first time in his life, he ever saw God doing miraculous healings in his church. And you guess what they'd done for the night before that? They had an all-night prayer meeting. And he said, after an all-night prayer meeting, for the first time as a pastor in all my years, I saw people I knew in the church. I knew they weren't lying. I knew they weren't cheating. He said, I saw 11 people miraculously healed because the church had been at prayer. We keep on asking. Luke 11, and I put it there so you can see the, uh, go back one please. So I say to you, ask, and here's the sense of it. It's the continuous, keep on, keep on, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. How many of you have given up and you're saying, God is saying to you, push in, press on. Do you mean it, you will? The last thing he says that Jesus said, God will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. You who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And I thought about that quite a lot and I realized this. Do you know that next to Jesus, the most important gift God will ever give you is the Holy Spirit? Remember when Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman? He said to her, if you knew who was talking to you, you would have asked him, and he would have given you rivers of living water, and you will never thirst again. In John 7, on the last day of the feast, he cries out, let him who is thirsty come to me and drink, and by this he meant the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, he says to his disciples, you don't dare go on the road until you've received the gift that was promised. For John baptized with water, but I will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. The disciples, when they were in crisis, begin to pray, Lord, give us boldness. Lord, do signs and wonders. And the Bible said, and the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Spirit. God's greatest gift to us. I want to add this before we wrap up. I think one of the questions I've struggled with a lot that people have said to me, John, I've prayed over and over and over again that God would fill me with His Spirit, and it's never happened. And I've realized the great error that we fall into is we're all waiting for some kind of feeling. Friends, you don't need a feeling when Jesus has promised something. We pray and we believe because he has spoken. 
And here's the test. If you really want to know that you've been filled with the Spirit, then there's two simple tests for you to take. And it's not the test of feeling. Number one, ask yourself this question, what's God doing in me? It says, and the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. What's God doing in me? Friends, I've become so conscious of what God is doing in me because I'm interrogating this issue of the Spirit in my life by looking at the right, in the right place. And you know, there have been times I've been like ecstatic and I could have felt like I was walking on water and there are other times I haven't felt like that but I've never doubted the Spirit's been at work. What is God doing in me? And the second thing is, what is God doing through me? It says, you'll receive power when the Spirit comes on you. God will give you gifts. There'll be a manifestation of the Spirit, Paul said. God will work through you. Those are your two tests at the end of the day. I've seen many people have feelings, and it's changed nothing. I've seen many people prayed, through, prayed for, and it's transformed their life. And the key thing that we want, God, are you doing something in me? And God, are you doing something through me? So I finish with that. But I sense this morning what we want to do is we really want to pray for people where you're saying, God, that's my desire. I'm asking for the Spirit today. I'm asking for the ministry of the Spirit in my life. I'm praying that I'll be filled with the Spirit. I'm asking God to empower me afresh. I'm asking God for greater boldness. I'm asking and saying, Lord, will you fill me this morning? And friends, I want to ask you this right now, what temptation are you facing that's holding you back? What's holding you back? Are you worried that God might do something that you didn't expect? Are you worried that God will just come upon you in power? Well, I don't think that's really worth worrying about. And so as we wrap up, I want us just to ask this question. What is God wanting to do in your heart today? What are we going to ask God for this morning? What are we trusting God will do by His Spirit in your heart? I feel, I don't know if you want to pick up on that. Thanks, John. I think before we actually start praying, what I really do believe, and I'm glad, Edwina, you said lay your hands on your heart, because that was exactly the word God gave me this morning. Um, and I think it is appropriate for us to do that again. Just put your hands on your heart because we want him to work with our heart. Guys, don't harden your hearts now, please. Just put your hand on your heart. God's love language is obedience. And I really believe he wants us to... One of the most underrated weapons the enemy uses against us is this whole thing of shame. We feel we're not good enough. We feel we're messing up. We're making mistakes. But that's not who we are. And I want you just to make some declarations this morning. Right? And we make them aloud, just in obedience to his word. All right. And I just want you to say after me, I am a new creation in Christ. I'm a new creation in Christ. 
Old things have gone. The new things have come. There is now no condemnation for me because I am in Christ. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have the mind of Christ. I can know what the Lord is saying to me. I can hear what the Lord is saying to me. I am free from guilt. I am free from shame. I am free from condemnation. My life is hidden with Christ in God. Lord, as we speak these truths out, we make a declaration this morning. This is who we are. This is our identity. And when shame attacks our identity and says we are none of those things, we take a stand by the blood of Jesus, that we are all who you say we are. And we stand on that, Lord. We stand on your power. We stand on your might. We stand on the fact that love, your love is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. That is the truth we stand on this morning. Blessed be your name, Lord. We praise your name. We worship you. We glorify you. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the great I am. And you are ours. And we are yours. Blessed be your name, Lord. Amen. Thanks, Phil. Um, so, um, we're in a wrap-up here. But we're in a wrap-up with an invitation. And I'm going to ask those who would like prayer for the Holy Spirit, as I've been describing this morning, I want to invite you to come out now before people start moving out, because then it becomes awfully difficult. So if you'd like to come for prayer, we've got people available who are going to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to just slip out of your seats right now and to do that.